for people who are Catholic today, they may just associate bells with church services, but in the mission context, they served more of a daily life control uh, purpose. For me, the bells signify a period where new meaning, new values, uh, and new ways of life were imposed on the landscape here in California. Basically, these were instruments of control. That same spirit of surveillance is being extended by the sound of the bells themselves. So even if the friars aren't looking at you, the bell carries their message and their potential threat of violence or discipline if you aren't sort of following the rules. Welcome to Challenging Colonialism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Indigenous California. An important note from the start, the producers are two white male educator academics, and these are not our stories. This podcast will center Native voices, and our intention is to highlight the significant work being done by Indigenous communities to challenge ongoing colonialism and to broadcast information about the resistance and resilience of Indigenous California in the past, the present, and the future. A final note before we begin, this podcast may contain graphic descriptions of slavery, genocide, and sexual violence. Welcome to Episode 1, Instruments of Colonization. My name is Bernard Gordillo, and I am a musicologist. I research the history of music and sound in Latin America and its relations with the United States. I'm particularly interested in the nature and function of church bells in the California missions, both over the course of their history and present-day relevance to the California Indians. The El Camino Real bell marker was a symbol that came out of a wave of revival movements in California during the last decades of the 19th century. These movements contributed to defining state identity and culture while they sought to attract tourism and settlement. A preservationist organization called the El Camino Real Association of California appropriated the mission bell as its emblem. In working towards reviving and reconstructing the path of the Spanish colonial roads that once connected the missions, themselves having co-opted native trading routes, the bell markers were used as landmarks to guide motorists on a very modern and non-religious pilgrimage across the state. My name is Valentin Lopez, and I'm the chairman of the Amamutsun Tribal Band. Well, they wanted to bring more tourism to California, and they wanted to bring more tourism to the missions. And they think that that right there is honoring this wonderful historical period. And, and, and it brings back these feelings of nostalgia. But when we see it, those signs represent to us the domination of those missions, the way they dominated our people, the way they separated our families, the way they destroyed our cultures and our, and our, our, and our spirituality, the way they f would go out and forcefully capture the people and, and march them to the missions. My name is Eve Chavez. I am Tongva from the Los Angeles Basin and I am an assistant professor in the History of Art and Visual Culture Department at UC Santa Cruz. 
I should acknowledge that growing up in California, I had a different view of them than I do now as a trained academic. I I think I just kind of took them for granted as, well, this is part of California. It's part of the California landscape that we see El Camino Real bells throughout the state. You're driving up the highway, you see them. It's like, okay, well, this is just a California thing. And they're somehow tied to the missions. But I didn't learn until later that actually those bells are not from the mission era. They're just meant to evoke the mission era, but really were put in place in the early 20th century by Anglo-American mission boosters who wanted to promote tourism to the missions. So that's another complicated layer to this whole history of the missions and the Spanish fantasy heritage that has shaped California's landscape. And when I see these bells today, I think, wow, the the Spanish really left a legacy that later settler colonists, for lack of a better word, embraced and in the process continued to erase an indigenous presence. If someone wanted to make an argument that these were part of the the mission history, then that's not accurate. These are anachronistic emblems of what Anglo-American settlers thought California stood for. My name is Grzegorz Velizarowicz, and uh, I teach at the American Studies uh, at the Institute of English and American Studies at the University of Gdańsk, uh, which is in Poland. Also, uh, the way I see this, uh, the El Camino Real Bells, I see this as part of this larger uh, uh, movement towards invented tradition. So I see this in California, especially in the context of the arrival of new uh, uh, settlers, new residents to California. Uh, and the desire to create a kind of uh, uh, a sense of history. The other thing, of course, was the the booster um, uh, go, the booster's goal, which was to boost the value of the land. You imbue the land with with that historical value. With you, you you imbue with something, uh, and you uh, with the values like uh, ro- romantic values. You know uh, the values associated with the missions that are uh, produced at the close of the nineteenth century. Of course, everything is idealized. The missions were the paradise. Uh, where uh, Indians happily worked with their fathers, quote unquote, which is the mission padres. So this is a kind of an image of an idyllic past, now gone, uh, but we are claiming this past as our own our own lineage. Uh, add to this also the automobile clubs and the native daughters of the Golden West and the native sons of the Golden West, all kinds of organizations that are investing in this, what we now understand as a fabricated version of history. I don't think many people realize that. They just think, oh, well, that's what California is. They don't recognize that there were people here before Spanish settlers or colonists, rather, arrived. So that that's troubling, I, I would say. 
Yes, it's part of an aspect of California's heritage, but it is damaging to the indigenous communities. The bell markers became symbols of civic pride for California. The hundreds of bell markers present today continue to promote this pride in state heritage. The question is, whose heritage does it belong to? We've begun with some historical context of the El Camino Real bell markers. Who put them on the highways and why they're there? You heard from Eve Chavez, Alexi Sagona, Annie Danis, Bernard Gordillo, Valentin Lopez, and Gregor Velasarvitz. In the next segment, we'll hear about the significance of the actual mission bells historically during the Spanish conquest and the colonial occupation of California, the purpose of the bells in relation to controlling native Californian people, and why they are extremely problematic reminders of California's colonial past. You'll hear more from Annie Danis, Bernard Gordillo, and Gregor Velasarvitz. So my name is Annie Danis, um, and I'm an interdisciplinary researcher and a lecturer at UC Berkeley and Stanford University here in California. Archaeologists are big fans of things you can map. So the spatial relationship between things, objects, um, how things are left behind is really important to building an understanding of experience in the past, of power, um, of relationships. But sometimes this leaves out an important element of human experience. So a spatial sonic model of Franciscan mission combines an understanding of how things like buildings and hills and walls organize a person's experience in the past. That's the spatial part. And what the space sounded like. That's the sonic part. So you have the mission quadrangle, which is the church, the convento, the residential buildings, and that's the architectural space of the mission itself, which is where most research up until now has focused. And that architecture was part of this project of control, because you bring people inside some walls, you're penning them in, you're, you're making a statement. So a native Californian person might have felt contained by the walls around a mission quadrangle around the church and the sort of domestic buildings of the main part of the mission. Um, but they might also have felt some sense of mission control, like even if they were outside of those walls, solely because they could hear the activities of the mission. Mission bells imposed European time and order over native lands across Alta California. They were a fundamental tool of Spanish colonialism and Christianization on the American continent. The Franciscans used bells to regiment life in the missions. The bells were integral mediums employed in the Christian conversion of native peoples. So for um, friars and believers, the bell marks times of worship um, and it in sort of Catholic doctrine um, at the time has a, a material relationship to divinity. So the sound of the bell itself makes a connection between the listener and God. Um, so, so there's a very sacred aspect to the sound of the bells um, that ha has very meaningful symbolism within Catholicism at the time, especially. Um, 
but they're also used to mark time. So the, the, those times of worship become also times of breaking up the day and organizing your labor and what you do. Um, and so these bells sort of become ways to call native laborers back from the field, for example. So we have one account of um, native Californians um, from Mission Dolores in San Francisco being sent out to the Presidio which is miles away to work and being called back by the bells. So in the sort of rural landscape of mission era, California, those bells reach huge areas um, sometimes depending on hills and, and um, topography. So they become not just this sort of um, sacred sound, but they're also um, really important in influencing a change in the temporal rhythms of native Californians. So when Serra peels that bell, he, um, he drowns out all of the, uh, all of the env other environmental sounds. This becomes the dominant sound, right? So bells are part of the uh, of this performative apparatus, which is you, which is uh, prescribed as an instrument of awe, inspiring awe, right? Inspiring interest uh, among the Indians, among the indigenous people of the Americas. Once at the mission, the, the bell becomes an instrument of uh, conditioning. Uh, because the bell wakes you up, the bell uh, brings you to a, an, a, a morning mass, uh, uh, breakfast, uh, dinner, supper. Uh, it regulates every aspect of your life. It intervenes into those environments which had never heard that sound before and destroy what you had known before. So um, to, what did it mean to ring that bell? and? you know, um, shoot that cannon, you know, it's a, it, 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 it I, I bet some of these sounds would be hunt, haunting the people who heard them for the rest of their lives. You're listening to Challenging Colonialism, a podcast focused on disrupting the colonial narratives too commonly repeated and accepted in California's history. Please look for our next episode, where you'll hear indigenous voices speaking about shell mounds, some of the most numerous archaeological sites, sacred sites, in California and especially in the Bay Area, which is the unceded territory of a variety of tribal bands together referred to today as Ohlone people. As we close our first episode, we'll highlight the campaign to remove the mission bells as pseudo-historical symbols celebrating genocide. You'll hear the voices of Julissa Lopez, Valentin Lopez, Will Parrish, and Alexi Sagona. In 2019, a replica bell was taken down on the UC Santa Cruz campus after tribal leaders campaigned for its removal. You can see video of the removal and several of the speakers, including Julissa Lopez and Valentin Lopez, with a simple internet search. Later, another bell was removed from Santa Cruz mission itself as protesters connected the legacies of colonialism to the legacies of anti-Black racism and present-day police violence. This direct action removal took place in the spring of 2020, 
as protests erupted after the deaths of Ahmad Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, among others. We encourage you to learn more about the effort to remove these bells, not as an effort to erase history, but to correct it, as these bells are just early 1900s replicas meant to boost tourism and not historical markers in any way. In some ways, they are the California equivalent of statues honoring the Confederacy. As we record this in July 2021, another bell removal is planned for August. So my name is Julissa Lopez. I'm a member of the Amamutsin Tribal Band, and I'm also Mexican-American. And um, I'm currently a grad student at the University of Michigan. I'm getting my PhD in social psychology. I mean, so I was a, a undergraduate at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and um, I didn't really notice them growing up on the highways until I got older and I started driving myself. And then I started seeing them. And then I finally saw one like up close and personal on campus. I would walk by it like pretty often because it was on my route to my job. I knew it like there was intention behind it too, that it was supposed to be reminding us of the mission period. But um, I think what it brings up for people is different depending on you know who the audience is. So for me as a native person, it was a reminder of like colonization of, okay, this is a symbol of like the intergenerational trauma that I see every day in my life. And I was also doing a lot of growing in my own identity during undergrad. So then having that to confront as I'm on my way to the American Indian Resource Center where I worked, I was just like constantly unpacking my own identity and my people's history. So that was just kind of like another trigger, I guess you can think of it that way. It would just be like, okay, now I have to reconfront this history again. Because it's not only like a symbol of the times, but it's also a symbol of like what our society values. And, you know, money went into these to recreate them, to use them. Like they weren't left by the Spaniards. Like California as a state put money into it to create these. And not only that, but when they like were damaged and like ruined early on, like they kept putting in money to restore them or to bring them back and to kind of develop like, I was doing research, um, Caltrans got $2 million in grants recently, like within the 2000s to restore them. Um, that's a lot of money that they're putting towards this, you know, as an effort to like, keep these going, uh, just for symbolism for tourism. What if that $2 million was invested somewhere else? We started an effort to remove the to remove those bells. We found a little acceptance in um, at the UC Santa Cruz campus. I don't know what the heck there was a, a bell, a, a mission bell on the campus of UC Santa Cruz for. And, and so we, um, you know, we, we went up and we talked to uh, the people at uh, UC Santa Cruz about having that bell removed. And after we talked about the history and what it represented to, uh, to Native American people, they agreed to remove that bell. And so we worked with the, the um, vice chancellor there uh, to have that bell removed and the bell was removed in 2019. We just took it upon ourselves like we were like we don't like this so we're gonna try to do something about it. We were in a position to like be in conversation with administrators that actually could make a difference so then we made a petition and we were collecting signatures. We had connections in different like organizations on campus and also like other students um, and resource centers. And so taking that bell down was just a sign that says, you're not gonna do that anymore. Our ancestors were important. That mission history is not true. 
you know, there was a lot of other messages that went with that. You know, on that day that Bell was removed, a lot of speakers said a lot of powerful things. And that is, you know, and, and it's time for, for that history to change. Just being able to see it physically be taken down, I think, was just healing in itself to be there with, like, elders, my cousins. It, it, does, it does feel like a domino effect. It feels like, okay, we can make this, we can remove this spell. Okay, what about the next spell? My name is Will Paris. I am a journalist, community organizer, and PhD student in history of consciousness at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and I was um, in attendance during uh, two different bell removals that have happened in Santa Cruz. You know, there was a really nice ceremony and gathering that was sanctioned by the university, you know, as a product of, of uh, a lot of organizing and relationship building between the Arnold Muslim tribal bands and its supporters and, you know, UCSC administrators. Um, after a ceremony that involved uh, speeches and, and prayer and dancing, some maintenance workers at UC Santa Cruz actually got out some tools and removed removed one of the mission bells that uh, had stood at UC Stanford for, for a number of years. Uh, I do think the idea uh, definitely contributed to what happened with, with the removal of the second bell. What I witnessed there is basically that uh, you know, during the time of the George Floyd uprisings in you know, late spring, early summer last year, there was a mo- you know, moment where a lot of statues were being taken down representing the the racist colonial histories of, of the United States were being removed during direct actions, you know, where basically people took it into their own hands to remove things like, you know, father, you know statues of Father Junipero Serra or um, Confederate monuments in different parts of the Jim Crow South. Um, and so, you know, it was during that time that some people uh, had gathered for a march and a rally uh, that went to the mission in Santa Cruz, and, uh, you know, different people spoke there. Um, I'm one of the people who actually spoke during the rally and just shared, like, you know, based on my research, you know, some history. And then, you know, after that, some people took down a bell um, and was not, like, physically proximate to it enough to see what happened there, but um, I do know that, that a bell came down. This was during a time when these sorts of things were happening all over the country and different parts of the world, and so I think that there are some people in Santa Cruz made, made a connection between you know, this mission bell and the specific um, histories of genocide, slavery, and you know, incarceration of, of indigenous people, uh, and decided to take action. Yeah, that's that's my understanding. So, um, you know, so I think that people recognize the symbolism of bell removal now because of what's happened and. And so, yeah, I, I do think it creates momentum potentially to get rid of all of them. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it would look like, but I think that now it is an open question. So I think people are focusing on more. And so that gives me uh, a lot of hope that there will be many more bell removals and hopefully all of them will come down sooner than later. Mishmin Truhis, Kanraka Alexi Sagona. Uh, my name is Alexi, and I'm a member of the Amamutsun Tribal Band, and I'm also one of the leaders of the Amamutsun Youth Group for young adult tribal members. Hopefully, removing bells one by one can get people to question the other bells that they're seeing and help undermine this false history and false narrative. By removing bells 
And by removing all of these legacies of the mission system, there's new opportunities for indigenous peoples and indigenous values to be reinscribed onto the landscapes. So imagine hearing the same sets of things day in and day out for generations here in this landscape, and then it being drowned out by these bells. Uh, perhaps instead of hearing bells, we'll hear the sounds of mountain lions because we're restoring the ecosystem. Thank you for listening to our first episode. Challenging Colonialism is produced by myself, Martin Rizzo Martinez, a historian, and Daniel Stonebloom, a public school administrator. We want to be both accountable and transparent about what our role is and what it is not. It is not our intention to further colonize the narrative or to misrepresent stories that aren't our own. Our own perspectives are unimportant, but we'd like to hear yours. Please leave your feedback, suggestions, reviews, ideas for future episodes, and more at the episode page. And please share and promote the podcast in your networks. The title of today's episode comes from the work of Jagor Wellenrovics, who used the term instruments of colonization in his piece, California Mission Bells, Listening Against the Fantasy Heritage, published in 2016 in Beyond Philology. Interviews were recorded by Martin Rizzo Martinez and Alexi Sigona. Music in this episode was created by Bernard Gordillo and Hilson Parker. What follows is a preview of our next episode, focused on shell mounds in the Bay Area. Karina Gould speaks about the Emeryville Shell Mound, a sacred site leveled in the 20s, used as a toxic waste dump until the 90s, and paved over for a mall in the 2000s. Good day, my name is Karina Gould. I am the spokesperson and tribal chair for the Confederated Villages of Lashan. At that same time, the um, Emeryville Shell Mound um, was being destroyed for a third time, I say, right? And the, the Emeryville Shell Mound was the largest of the 425 shell mounds on Nels Nelson's 1909 map, right? Um, shell mounds that ring the entire Bay Area. Um, shell mounds um, where our ancestral burial places, our cemeteries, our village sites, our ceremonial places. And so our ancestors, you know, were not, you know, I'll, I'll go through a little bit a little more and then I'll come back to that. So we got, um, we got called onto the Emeryville Mall um, site because some carpenters began to um, knew that, or people that were in the carpenters unit knew that there were bodies that were being dug up. And then we found out about what was happening there we found out that they were removing them. But it was also a toxic site, right? Before um, EPA laws, there were factories that were built there and people would dump stuff into the ground and it would seep into the Temescal Creek and every time it would rain, it would create this big brown blob into our bay, which is part of the reason we can't uh, live sustainably in our bay anymore because it's so polluted. Um, 
And the city of Emeryville, who was broke at the time, got this huge grant from the federal government to clean up, clean up this brownfield. And they decided to put a green mall on top of it. And so this green mall um, destroyed um, much of what was left of our shell mound that was there. They found hundreds of bodies, and many of them they couldn't take out of. They ended up in a toxic waste dump um, because they were just filled with these toxins. And we uh, went there in protest. We went to city council meetings asking them to not create this mall, to clean it up and allow it to be an open space so that we can talk about not just the past, but the resiliency of our people. And the city of Emeryville said no. They had what I call Ken and Barbie meeting us outside in the lobby of the city council meetings, asking us what we would like um, uh, basically, how could they pay us off to allow, to shut up so that they could uh, go through with this? For 20 years now, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, on the corner of Shell Mound Street and Ohlone Way, we show up at this little model mound that's supposed to represent thousands of years of my ancestors uh, being there, and we protest with hundreds of people of all walks of life, holding up signs, giving out information, telling people where they're shopping is a burial site um, so that this kind of thing would never have to happen again. 2021, the same thing is happening in the Bay Area. You can see cranes in the sky everywhere. And we're not talking about the birds, right? Um, but they're still finding our shell mounds. So we started doing this campaign because no one knows about shell mounds in the Bay Area. Ohlone people are taught about in fourth grade, you know, most California Indian people are taught about in fourth grade. And then you're not talked about anymore. You're erased from history. You're taught about like you're in the past. And then what I call a, a white paper genocide, you're not talking about ever again.